Well, welcome to episode two of the Box I Live In podcast. Uh, this is Ben Reeve, and today I'm joined by Blake Howard. G'day, Blake. Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm very well. And uh, my other colleague in the business, Sarah Ewan. How are you, Sarah? I'm good. What about you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Now, um, full disclosure up front, I mean, we spoke about it on the first podcast with Blake. Both Sarah and Blake were participants on programmes that <laughs> I ran. <laughs> and so... I. I what does that make us? I, I, well, it makes it, I guess, I, the fact you went through the process with me, but the fact then we actually, both of you have got out of the companies you are working with, kind of makes it for an interesting conversation. Particularly, particularly given, Sarah, you and I caught up at the end of last year. So that was, what, 2020? Yes. And it was just after COVID, right? And we'd, mm-hmm. done, we'd moved the whole of our training programs online. So we used to do face-to-face and some webinars, but we moved the whole thing online. And, and you and I went out for lunch and we had the conversation because last year, you, I did, how many hundreds of coaching sessions did you do? Like how many hours? I did 500 hours on the phone, one-on-one oh. for one client. And obviously did other clients as well. But yeah, I did, a, I did a lot of phone calls. So you got a really deep insight into what people were thinking, right? And these are predominantly kind of, they're, my, they're, they're, they're what, 25 to sort of 45, sort of that younger age group. I say younger because yes. I'm older. You're both younger than me. So, you know, you keep me young. <laughs> and we had lunch. And what was the one question that they kept asking you? Because you said it was a real theme that came through. Yeah, I think the theme definitely during virtual, during and COVID, but also actually before then as well, was I'd often get pulled aside and training and just saying, how did you get out? Like, what did you do? <laughs> and uh, often the question, especially actually in face-to-face training courses, people would pull me aside. And that was the question that they had. Very good. So I would like to call this podcast, this chat today, I'm a professional, get me out of here. <laughs> all right? Because yes. it's something that we've all been through in our careers, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and for me, it's a really interesting because I think it shows the signs of what's going on in, in the organisations today. You know, if you think about, it's not just COVID, but for my observation has been that, you know, you turned up, you worked hard, you stayed in an organisation, they looked after you. I think that's changed, right? And you've both been through that yourself. And, and, and so today we want to explore that and maybe have our experiences and also talk about our top tips and our recommendations. And um, I guess as successful people, are we successful that have got out? <laughs> I, I do talk about getting out. I, I, I still talk about not having a proper job. People say to me, we well, used to have a proper job, which involved yes. nine to five. And I, I, I know what we do is important, but it never seems like a proper job. I don't know, maybe that's just my upbringing. So Sarah, let's, let's go through this. Um, why don't you give us a quick background of your story? So, like, you know, your career. What I'm interested in is where you came to and then how did you get out? Let, let's just let's give everyone the background of our stories and then we'll explore, like, what you do to get out. Cool. All right. Well, my background is that I am originally a chartered accountant from Scotland, hence the accent. So I worked for one of the big four accountancy firms. I trained up as an accountant, as an auditor, and then I moved into forensic accountancy. And then I moved to Germany and worked on a project there, which then one night in a bar, I decided I loved living overseas. And I ended up applying and moving over to Australia. So I was still working for the big four accountancy firm at that point. I then took a couple of years out after that and did some study around leadership and then got a job in one of the big four banks working in policy and I did that for six years before getting out of there. But what was your sideline because you're a bit like Blake on the first podcast we discussed you know having a job but also having a sideline and Blake's was the whole podcast thing that's why he's guiding you and I through this but while you were doing all that corporate stuff because when I first met you you told me you were like 
this was what it was. And I must admit, I, I think I said to you at the time, I said, you're in the wrong job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I'd met you for about half a day and I think I just yes. literally, you, you told me that. I just said flat out, why are you doing that? Because yeah. what, what was your passion at the time that's now become almost, well, it has become your career, right? Yeah, exactly. Good point. The whole time, ever since university, I always felt like a square peg in a round hole. And I think deep down, I always had that niggling away at me. And whilst I was doing my professional job, I also started quite a strange hobby for a lot of people. It might seem strange, but I started doing a lot of public speaking competitions. And uh, that became the thing that I really, really enjoyed. And on the way to a competition, a friend asked me, Sarah, if you could do anything in life, what would it be? And I said, without really thinking, oh, I'd love to help other people with their public speaking I'd love to work with leaders and help them in their communication and things like that and she said why don't you do it and that question then stayed with me for quite a few years after that yeah okay well you and I will have a chat about your transition but again it was interesting because I think when we met that was the conversation yes that's quite that's quite the vocation (laughs) Sarah let's just to be like I want to compete at not only public speak but be better than a whole stack of people who are clearly confident doing it that's that's different for someone who's just a leader in a big four bank. Yeah. Well, well, I'd also, it's like, you know, the, the accounting side of it. I almost laugh when we met because I was like, I was like oh, she's mad, that lady. It's funny, yes. actually, when I met both of you. So it's, so it's something different. This is, this is the, the key to it. So what's yeah. your story then, Blake? Because you only just recently made the transition, right? Yeah, I, I only just recently made it. I uh, started out at university and I needed a part-time job and I started working for a big four Australian bank in a contact center as, as it, as it happens. And I was doing a lot of study. I was doing a film media and cultural studies and English degree. And I graduated my honors. And it was a time that I was like looking like I was going to go down the academic path. But one of my lecturers best described as like, when you write a, like a thesis or study for a whole year and you give that up and you can't touch it anymore. It was an 80,000 word thesis. It started out as a 150,000 word draft before I whittled it down to that. He said, he goes, it's the closest a man will ever feel to having given birth. (laughs) (laughs) And it was true because I gave it up and I said, I can't do academia. I need to go and get a real job. And (laughs) and, uh, for the whole of my uh, study, I was working at one of these big four banks and I then just said, okay, well just give me something to do. And I, became full-time and I was doing other jobs and I was just taking things that were interested me. And then I eventually, finally, after years of leadership and sort of working as you do in these environments, you have opportunities sometimes to leverage it into something that's maybe closer to what your personal values are. And, and for me, it was always like, well, I've done all this writing and communication and that's what I'm actually interested in. Um, and so I sort of pushed my way into corporate communications, just a few, got a few lucky breaks really. And after sort of runs on the board and working in a whole bunch of roles and just sort of like, can I have a crack and passed all my probationary uh, 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 trials with flying colors uh, and moved on. But at the same time, much like Sarah, I was also doing movie reviewing on the side and being a freelance film critic in the Australian film community. So at the same time, I was just like doing creative stuff and then moving and trying my darndest to make corporate communication and sort of like freelance communication my thing. So was it your calling? Like, did like, I mean, did you feel like a square peg in a round hole, like Sarah was saying, or did you? Could you seem? I mean, you never, you never came across like that in the business, right? I mean, you might have felt it, but no one would ever have known. So you, you did a good job of making the program work. I mean, you did as well. I never like, but was it your calling or like? Uh, yeah, I, I think there was a point where, and this is what you said to me. Um, you said, how did you get here? 
I remember you asking me like, how did you, it's like, because I, I was talking and there was a break and you were like, what, where, what have you done? Like you've done something else. Um, and so, yeah, it's this weird thing. Like I'd always been lured towards like, um, you know, a, appreciation of art and like what it says about our culture. And so then like sometimes, you know, that, that, that had kind of always been in my head. And then at university, I got a touch, I got a taste of like facilitation and teaching on a, on a graduate level. And at that time I just didn't pursue it because what that meant was I'd have to dive into a seven year PhD course. And I was like, no. And also thank you. Um, But yeah, it just, I don't know what happened. I, I, I like hard work. I like challenges. And so it was always like when I was there, the only thing that I, and we mentioned on the first podcast that you talked about was like, I always just had a lot of energy and passion for people being better and mm. the teammates that I worked with and people that, you know, I was leading just for them to achieve their goals. And so that's where I found myself sometimes butting up against that because I was really passionate and very energetic. And sometimes people are like, why are you working this yeah. hard? <laughs> See, I think I'd recognise that in both of you. And I've trained, as I said, you know, thousands of people over the years. And given my background was in corporate as well, and having made the transition, so my story was exactly the same as you both know. Mm. You know, I worked for the in the IT space back in the nineties. As it kind of it's hardware sales, and it just grew. You know, it grew from PCs on desks, so everybody had one. And so I grew with it and, you know, saw all this stuff in like a five, six, seven-year career and just got to do bigger roles just because I was around. But I, I, I primary to that, see, I fell into that because I wanted to be a teacher, so I was going to go back in the UK and was going to teach and then um, never got there because I got waylaid. And, and, you know, but it's funny because when I made the transition out as well, it was probably the same piece. You know, it was one of those things where you kind of get there and you think, right, this is working, but it's, it, there's something else I need to be doing. And then I got out and did this consultancy gig. And so when I met both of you, it was really interesting because, as I said, I meet thousands of people and you just you pick the ones that are slightly different. And it's not hard to sort of see that you're not, I'm going to, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's derogatory or not, but you get a lot of corporate robots, let's be honest. You know, they're nice people, mm. but they're doing what has been prescribed. And if that gives them joy, not a problem. But you always, and particularly I think for what I do, I'm looking for that, that difference and that edge to find people that are interesting and fun to work with. So, you know, Today we've sat around this table is kind of cool for me because, you know, I, you weren't handpicked. I think when you both, <laughs> and this is really interesting. So let's go back to you. We'll get, we'll get to your current move because yeah. Blake, you've just done a move. But you and I had a conversation because this is this is what I dread. I had one lady ring me up one day, and she said, oh, "I've done what you said." I was like, "Oh." Shit, what did I say? And then she went, I've resigned. And I was like, whoa, I don't ever remember telling anybody to resign. What I've always said is if you're thinking about going, do your homework. But Sarah, you did ring me and you did say, I've made some decisions. And then we had a chat. So so what was the catalyst for you then to actually leave the corporate space um, and to get out and ultimately initially to set up your own thing? But ultimately, you know, you and I work together now, which is great. So so what, 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 when was enough enough? Yeah, it's funny, actually. There wasn't like one massive moment, but I think there was a series of smaller things that just got me thinking and just edging towards making that move. Uh, A couple of things spring to mind. There was actually another training program that I was on in the organization I was in and everyone had to present and nobody wanted to present. And so I went, I'm happy to go first. It was on the difference between managing and leading. And at the end of the presentation, there was just silence and the facilitator pulled me outside and I was the most junior um, a woman on this woman leadership program female for females and she pulled me outside and she said would you be willing to give feedback to all the other presenters 
And I was thought, well, it's a bit unusual. It's a bit bizarre, but sure. And then actually it ended up that I ended up working with that lady on a few different client engagements outside of the organization. So little moments like that one were catalysts for really getting me to think, is this something that I would really be wanting to do full time and step out of my comfort zone to do? And I realized that that's really what I wanted to do. That's what energized me. That's what, you know, keeps, keeps the blood pumping. And that's what I wanted to pursue. Okay, so we'll come back then to the mechanics of the move, right? What about yourself, Blake? Because you've literally recently just kind of stepped out and alongside all the podcasts and all the stuff that you're doing, you've, you've going back to be a teacher. Yeah, I'm going back to study. Yeah, I there, COVID accelerated lots of things and it accelerated companies and restructuring and things like that. And I was quite lucky because I kept my job in a corporate during this time and it was pretty crazy. But companies restructure and the direction that they were going was pushing me out of where I'd kind of established myself back to like what they need and what a, what a big companies need more than anything, Ben, they need change. <laughs> they need change and change and, and people who do it. And I kind of looked at, I looked at what was in front of me. I looked at the career that I'd had there, both part and full time. And I just thought if I can, I can do this. You know, I think that's a problem sometimes. Mm. And I hearing in Sarah's like, I can do it. I'm the person who'll go, I'll go first. And so I felt like I could transition to where they maybe needed me or were trying to reposition me. But I just went, what am I going to do that's going to make me feel like I'm having a positive impact? Mm. Because I felt like there was a lot of, in your true box I live in jargon, like a lot of fluff about going back to another chaotic change role and not what am I really doing? What mm. impact am I having? Did you have a midlife crisis? Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. You know, it was it was like that. It was like whatever the, whatever the halfway point between quarter and mid is, it was like hopefully there. But I, I just was like, what 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 do what's actually going to work for me? What's going to uh, add value? And you know, teaching was something I taught. I this is how you know something haunts you. It's like I talked about teaching a decade earlier with my yeah. wife before mm. we started our family and gone maybe I should go back to uni and just do this. And then life happens and things happen. And when this opportunity came up, I was like, I need, I need to go. Mm. I need to get out. And, um, you know, the only thing that I can say to anyone is like through a crazy circumstance of events. Um, but you, you know, I had my first experience in a school on a, a placement observation for five days and it was just, you know, it was a, it was a low socioeconomic area in Sydney and it was a school with utterly committed teachers working in a challenging environment with kids who had a variety of their own challenges. And I just was like, this is the realest place in the universe. Yeah. And this is the only place I, I can't imagine going to a corporate place again, almost even into a building. Yeah. I was like, this is, I just felt like this is the kind of environment because you can, you literally day by day, interaction by interaction can see the impact that you can have on kids who, who are there and it, whether they know that they need guidance or support or whether they don't really want it. It's like that that's all part and parcel of what it is. And I was like, I think this is the kind of place I can really thrive and personally feel good about it, which is like, you know, for the longest time, you're like, I can do things that are easy. I've done things. You have a lot mm. of experience, a lot of runs on the board. And I think that comfort and safety net is there. But, man, it was nothing cooler than standing there going, wow, this like, I, I don't really know all the scenarios here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, the unknown. The unknown. So let me ask you this question because it's mm. it's making these transitions. And, I've, you know, as I said, I, I made the transition as well into sort of 
and, and and we spoke about this on the first podcast. You know, we talked about the financial situation that we're in because it's very easy to say, right, I'm going to give it all up and go and do follow my life's work. But when you're in the corporate system, when I, one of the things I realised is it paid me a load of money. And yes, there was risk and there was pressure, but it was relatively, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't risk at all, you know, and it's somebody else's money. The moment, you know, and you're guaranteed that, and the moment you step out and either, you know, commit to a training process and retraining or you commit to setting up your own business, that security blanket of the regular paycheck goes. Mm. And, and I think, I think you know, I mean, all on full disclosure, I was lucky because my last role was nine months and it was an integration role and I knew I was going to get a package at the end of it. But I do remember that first day when I walked out the next day sitting there and, you know, back in my home office, you know, I didn't have anybody to look after me and I've got to pick up the phone and, you know, the money's there but straight away it starts to go, you know, it's that piece. Did, so, look, like, these moves that you've made... I mean, financially, <laughs> I don't know, your financial, like, was it a good financial move or was it just a question of following your dreams? Like, did that scare you? Because I said to you before, you know, I, I get that you should follow your dreams, but mm. if we're going to live in a society which takes a certain level of income, yeah. and if, if you're not prepared to sacrifice some of that, and I actually don't think you should, but what it does is it means the transition has to be managed. You yes. can't just say, I'm going to leave and yeah. then follow my dreams because you then you put yourself in a whole world of hurt because all of a sudden you don't have the income. So I mean, we don't need to go to specifics, <laughs> but like from a financial perspective, yeah. did you know what you were getting into? Like, Had you run the numbers? Had you, had you have the business plan? Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, I'm a chartered accountant of from course. Scotland. <laughs> so, uh, oh, so, you've got, so you're actually financially independent then. <laughs> so one of the things that was definitely a driver for me was making sure that I was being sensible. So I made sure that, you know, before I did eventually step out, that I had all my ducks in a row from a financial perspective. I had a little bit laid aside so I wasn't panicking if a client didn't settle an invoice on time. And I just made some decisions around where my boundaries were financially. I had this thing that I would never ask a family member for money. And that was like my absolute on that one. But Scottish, I, they wouldn't have given it to you. <laughs> well, that's it, like drawing blood from a stone. But um, to be honest, the finances is one of those things where it's important to do your homework, have your ducks in a row, make sure you've got a budget that you're happy to stick to and all of that. But also too, you don't want the finances to be the reason why you don't do it. So for me, yeah, okay. you know, I wanted to make decisions that were good from a financial perspective, but I didn't want the uncertainty around finances to hold me back. And I've always said to any business owner, if the inconsistency around finances stresses you out, it's probably not for you because it's one of the things I actually enjoy about running my own business. I enjoy the adventure of not always knowing exactly what's in the account all of the time. And uh, everyone's wired differently, but that's actually one of the things that really attracts me to it is the uncertainty. As an accountant, it was the knowing what I'd be doing in 10 years time and how much money I could be earning in 10 years time that I used to find particularly draining about the whole thing. So, so that's interesting. So what you're saying there is it's pay attention to it but equally if you let that get in the way yes then yes. then that's also an issue as well yes so, but you got to but your point is you you think about what you're going into right absolutely and I probably took it to the extreme like I really wanted to test myself to see how much I wanted it so just before I stepped out and, and left corporate there was a hailstorm in Sydney and my car got done in the hailstorm and written off and I got the money from the insurance company and I decided to put the money in an account to test myself for a year to live without a car and I love having a car particularly in Sydney and so I did it 
partly because I had a safety blanket, but also I wanted to test how much I was willing to make lifestyle choices and changes if I needed to. A year later, I went and bought a car and I'm absolutely (laughs) delighted I got a new one. But at the same time, for me, that was actually a really important test from a financial, but also a how much am I willing to sacrifice and make changes to my lifestyle expectations, which I think a lot of people like the idea of the dream, but they don't like the realities of the cost that you sometimes have to pay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Blake? I mean, this this move, I mean, again, is it, you and I were discussing, you know, that whole thing about getting paid a lot of money for, you know, doing good jobs, but, you know, <laughs> compared to the public sector, I imagine it's a little bit different. I mean, did, did, was it a numbers decision, like, to follow the dreams, or was it did it all just fall into place for you? No, it was, you know, there was a, we had enough of a nest egg for the decision to start studying to happen. Um uh, my wife and I are then sitting down and doing a plan of like, what does that mean in sacrificial terms? And if there's a bit of an adjustment period, do we have enough of a, a nest egg and an adjustment to like pivot to this? So that was it. But the long-term stuff, I was like, I know that there's a financial implication in the long-term, but that became like a, I don't want, if, if, if I feel fulfilled, then that's okay. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's enough. I I'm, I'm good. And I, I you know, you know, it's not, there are plenty of high paying jobs out there that you could totally get. And it's like, do you feel fulfilled every day? Do you, you know, and, and other things were, you know, I've got two little ones um, now, like a, 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 a four year old is about to be a five year old is going to go into school at the same time I'm going into school. <laughs> to teach. And so, oh, yeah. you know, the consideration became like, is the value for me less income, but maybe I get to drive my daughter to school every day. Um, and those sorts of factors come in and it's like, that just became more, far more long term important for our family um, than than the short term. Oh, we might yeah. be making more money, and that might mean X, Y, Z. And and we we ran the numbers and were smart enough to know. Obviously, we can afford our mortgage and those things, but it was just like, I can make money yeah. doing other little bits and bobs to sort of get close to where I was before, and still feel so much better about mm. my long term decision because I'll be feeling. It, from a mental and personal well-being standpoint and a value standpoint, like I feel more valued. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. it's interesting for me because I think traditionally, you know, we, we coach people to follow their dreams and to do it. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm all for that. I just, it's the realist in me coming yeah. out yeah. again and the pragmatist. It's, mm. I, I've seen people go off and set themselves up as consultants and various things, certainly in my field, and there's like a seven-year rule. Yeah. You know, normally some of them don't make it past the year or they get to seven years and then they go back into corporate. Yes. Because... You know, just that strain, as you were saying, Sarah, mm. or other, it can be in any business of just making making ends meet. You know, and and what what I find, you know, not frustrating, but I think sometimes people have got to just get the, the, the rock stars and all the successful CEOs and these startups. They're the minority. You know, for every one or two that are working, there's ninety nine that are not working. Yeah. And you know, I have so much respect for anybody that wants to start their own entity, even if it's the cafe around the corner or because they've got to make a buck. And when it's, when it's you trying to make a buck and convince someone to buy something, it's very different than when you're sat with the big corporate machine behind you. Yes. And yet, Sarah, your point is, is so valid. If, if you do the numbers and that becomes a precursor and then you say, well, actually, I can't go, and you just sell your soul to the numbers, I think you're on this treadmill. Yep. But the, the point is you've got to do the reality of the thinking. And then, Blake, what you just picked up very lastly for me is the key is this idea of your values. 
You know, and we, mm. we talk a lot about this, you know, in the programs and Sarah yes. and I when we train this idea of your value system and your values basically, you know, you know the deep-seated emotional responses, what's important to us. Mm. And a bit of a plug in www.theboxideliving.com, <laughs> there is a values exercise in there. It's not free, but go and have a look. But, you know, that values card exercise that we do and you've yes. done where you yeah. get people to rank what's mm. important to them, whether it's like independence, wealth, family, rela- health, relaxation. Mm. How important is to not only have a business idea but also to make sure sure that that fits in with what you want out of your life and I think that's probably been my biggest learning as I've made the transition is it's fine to have a great business idea and aspirations to build million dollar businesses and all of this but to Blake's point does it give you that sense of satisfaction and meet that value criteria does it give you that sense of you know you're doing what you want to do yes and I think if you can make it all work go do it yeah but I think for a lot of people they've got to understand that they've got to do the thinking first and it's it's not easy when you're on the outside no I, th- I don't know. That's my view. Yeah, I think also you can't put a, to your Blake's point. You can't actually put a price on some of the moments. Like yesterday, I got a phone call from a client, a leader who had been helping with her communication skills, and they had a massive fear of public speaking. And they phoned me up to say they just delivered a presentation in front of six hundred colleagues that they never thought they'd be able to do. And oh. moments like that make me feel like a round peg in a round hole, and I love it. <laughs> and I used to always be jealous of these people that said, "I love what I do." And I used to wonder if it was a romantic notion or if it was something that you could truly feel. And having I felt it myself I mean that's why I'm taking part in podcasts like this because I want to say to people if you desire that feeling it is possible but you do need to do the numbers you do need to back yourself and you do need to make sure that your dream is something you would want to outwork every single day Sometimes it's easy to stay at work, isn't it? <laughs> I was just, just going to say that sounds really hard um, but, you, but you, you pick up something then in and, and I know that Sarah does is like the do your homework piece, right? And I think yeah. that that's what's really coming across really strong is, you know, that 10 years ago, and this is the other thing that sort of came to me thinking about today and talking to you guys again, is like if I 10 years ago had have just done my homework, I could have left corporate life and understood what was up, up for me in my in my chosen line that I wanted to go down because, you know, I, I had to say no to a full-time job offering that if I was, work, you know, studying part-time rather than full-time intensively as my family is planned for now, I could be doing that and yeah. achieving my goals and maybe it was over a longer timeline than I expected. But it's just like I think the homework piece, mm. you can't put a price on it if it's like if you're ready, you'll you'll take the steps that are needed to do that. And I think you always have to do your homework. And the values exercise – I wish I still had the piece of paper that my values cards were on then because they're not the same. Well, they shift, right? <laughs> they, they shift, shift with they, two kids they and shift, the whole they, sh- they shift, but, but I think it's, it's nonetheless it's still important. Like it's a really yeah. important factor. Yeah. So, so, so that's, the, that's the backstory, right? And I think, you know, there's a few things that have come out of that. So, I mean, what are some of the challenges that you face then in terms of getting out? Like, I mean, what would have been some of the challenges, some of the learnings? Like when you look back, you know, even I think you were doing your stuff before you got out, right? But certainly for yourself, Sarah, I mean, what, what are the things that have surprised you or what have you learned? What, what have been some of the challenges of getting out and doing your own thing? So the challenges since I've got yeah. out? Yeah, what are the challenges? I'm not interested in <laughs> the stuff at work. <laughs> I know that very well because we did the coaching conversation. There were a few of those, weren't there? Uh, since I started my own businesses like five years ago, I think... Has I would, it been five years? It's been five years, yeah. Wow. It's already been five and a half, actually. But it's been five years since I left the role full And how time. long have we been working together? Uh, so we're four. Four? Yeah. Yeah, so Sarah and I work... Part of this consultancy yeah. as well. That's the joy I love, you know, okay. Crazy. Well, they make me feel even older. Anyway, go on, yeah. So <laughs> time, pl- time flies when you're having it. fun. 
Yeah, so I think some of the challenges, look, I've never really experienced like a massive challenge that required me to dig right in because I'm doing what I love. But I think there were some challenges that I wasn't expecting. Like even although I did my homework, there were some things that I just didn't know until I got to the other side, so to speak. So the one that I find quite interesting is actually the loneliness sometimes in making decisions as a business owner. Mm. So, you know, in a large corporate, you've got to collaborate and you all get to sit around. And maybe that's some of the frustrations sometimes in a big organization having to speak to so many different people before you can get a decision across the line but I think it's the constant having to make decisions about strategy and literally the buck stops with you every single time (laughs) as a business owner that that was the thing that I had nobody else had told me about and it wasn't something I experienced until I was in it and it's not loneliness as in I've got no one to talk to I've got you know mentors (laughs) yourself (laughs) business partners family and things like that but it's ultimately no no one else can make the decisions you've got to make them for yourself and I think that just learning to realize that that's just normal in business ownership was really helpful and I spoke to a number of business owners that agreed yes nobody actually tells you about the loneliness of business ownership a bit like sometimes the loneliness in leadership when all the team go off for a coffee and they don't invite you it's a sort of similar thing when you're doing that and I think the other challenge that I think every business owner probably experiences is just that ongoing having to keep backing yourself and I don't think that's a bad challenge I think that's one of the things that actually attracts me to it is like having to dig deep and just constantly challenging yourself and backing yourself even at the times where maybe you don't feel it but there's no one else to kind of do it for you you just have to keep showing up and putting a smile on your face and yeah, and making it happen mm. yeah cool what about you Blake what have you learned um I've learned that if you are in a corporate role you have IP like there is so much that you learn and so much that mm. you uh, acclimatize to in a corporate landscape that in the opposite, there is such a freedom to go. There is this. There is no more that, you know, that a camel is a horse designed by a committee, you know, like <laughs> there's no more of that. You've got into, you're in charge of the horse, so yes. to speak. And, and also every job that you do has a level of, you know, bureaucracy and things that just have to be done in certain instances, whether it's a regulatory body or whatever, you could be running own a cafe and have a council check-in or something, just anything. Mm. But if you've come from a corporate landscape where that's your life and you just have to put up with that in like a very small dose in, a, in another profession, some people who've been in that profession before cannot handle it. They yeah. just cannot handle it. And whereas like a few people have said to me, oh, it's sometimes really bureaucratic when you, you know, starting to be, when you're in a teaching role. And I was like, what kind of bureaucracy? You know, just like, let's dig under what it is. And you sort of get underneath what it is and you're like, oh, fine. What an extra half an hour of bureaucracy a day compared yeah. to people who might be listening to this who sometimes have three to four hours of meetings before they go and do their job in a day. It's mm. like, there are those sorts of things where I'm like, you have IP and, and you can do it. And then also, you can be really energized. Um, there's a lot of hurry up and wait in corporate. Mm. And one thing that I've relished, both like being able to do stuff like this and collab with you guys is, and, and just other uh, my other pursuits and then also studying is like, there are no reins on me. Like I don't have to wait for a committee or a stakeholder to sign something off. You just go. And so I, I think that that's another thing that is really helpful for me is like, any, anything you want to road test, you use your mentors, you can go to them occasionally. Mm. There are good people to sanity check things with, but there's nothing stopping you except yourself. And that can be scary. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, I think that's probably that's links true. to my biggest <laughs> learning. You know, what's it's interesting because I think you can get really conditioned when you're in the corporate yes. space. I remember it took me literally three years 
to travel like during the day. So normally, because I was so conditioned to traveling morning or afternoon with long corporate flights, you know, there were certain times. But if I was going somewhere like Melbourne or overseas, you know, there's nothing stopping me going in the middle of the day and having an extra day. But I still was booking it unconsciously because <laughs> yes. I was caught in the routine. Yes. And, it was, yeah. and you talk about, the, you know, the reins. It's funny when you shake those reins off because, again, it's, it's – but how do you realise that when it's just you doing your stuff and there's no one giving you the feedback? Yeah. But I think yeah. your point around transferable skills for me – is critical because I think mm. when you're within the system, whatever system that is, whether it's the professional qualifications like the accountancy or the engineers or whatever professional, you know, sometimes you think, oh, well, that's all I can do. But to Blake's point, I think when you're in a corporate environment, whatever that is, big or small, there is a whole lot of well, some of the softer skills, you know, the EQ, the emotional intelligence. Certainly if you're successful in that environment, they're hugely transferable. Yes. And, and I think the yep. biggest challenge then is this this entrepreneurial mindset, this capacity to to kind of work within that and value that, but to bring that into that fluid environment that you're talking about. And sometimes I think for when you're part of the system, you don't always appreciate. And I coach, you know, like Sarah, I didn't quite do how many, how many hours? 500 hours? 500. 500. I think I, I actually, actually, I must have done about 300. I had 100 people in front. So, but what's interesting is when you talk to somebody, sometimes I think they're like, oh, but I don't have the skills. And I'm yes. like, it's not when I met you guys. I'm like, you got the skills. <laughs> I can see you've got the skills. It's just whether the individual mm. believes yeah. it and can articulate it. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting transition. And I think, you know, it, it, it still. It took me a good five years to kind of just get comfortable with the fact I could do what I like. You know, even yeah. now, you've always someone to answer to, right? There's always a client that wants yeah. something there. And sometimes I think the pressure we put on ourselves. But for me, that, that as you were saying, so that drives that accountability for mm. the business and what we're doing. Yeah. All right. So, look, interesting conversations, right, in terms of our journeys. But let's mm. let's practice what we preach and make this practical and real. <laughs> so, so there we are. We're sitting there. We're talking to individuals. You've got somebody in front of you that's – you know, looking to make this transition, what do they call it? I'm a professional, get me out of here. What's what's our advice? So what are we going to advise them to do? Let, let's let's tell you what we'll do. Let's make a list. Old school, I've got the pen and paper uh. here. I'll make the list. And then what we'll do is we'll type this up and we'll put it somewhere on the pod and it can be a handout, right? Yes. So this is our advice if people want to make the transition from a corporate environment or a job into do something else. Yes. Yeah. You fire away and I'll capture yeah. it and we'll make sense of it. What do you think, Sarah? What, what advice are you going to give them? Yeah, I think uh, my advice would be, number one, know what your key strengths are and what's interesting to you and what your passions are because usually somewhere in there lies the thing that you should be doing. Everyone searches and wants to have purpose, but what does that actually mean? And for me, my view is that if you can find something that draws on your key strengths that you're passionate about and that it's really connected to your interests, then you're you're on to a winner and that's just giving clarity around the idea or the thing that you could step out with and then I think you know the slightly more boring part is to definitely crunch the numbers and to see what your appetite is around taking risk and sacrifice and what that actually looks like from a practical perspective and I think the third thing that I think is really important is a lot of people have amazing talents as you just said and dreams and things like that but they spend a lot of time thinking, overthinking why they shouldn't do it as opposed to reminding themselves and talking themselves into it. And that was definitely something that I had to sort of walk the tightrope of myself. But I think that that's really key in having the courage to eventually step out when you've got all your ducks in a row. Talk yourself into it and keep the dream alive. Don't suck it dead by overanalyzing it and that would be some of my advice what about you paralysis by analysis definitely um yeah look my my biggest advice is especially if something seems like it's huge is like stretch the timeline 
because I've come to a point where, you know, I'm so lucky that my consideration of a big career change and getting out of corporate was like a collaboration with my partner to be like, okay, how does this work for us financially? Do her dreams have to briefly pause while (laughs) the family crunches the numbers and achieve the goals? But if that was in the past and you have a different conversation, it's like, would that transition out? Does it need to take one year or can it take two? And can you make the steps a bit more slowly to make it happen? Because I think that sometimes for different folk, it's about a transition that you can manufacture, maybe going to part-time while you're in the corporate space Mm. and you still have the safety blanket. But it's like, I think to, to Sarah's point, sometimes you do have to jump because you feel compelled to jump. But if there are other people who are, have towed the line for a long time and they need a more gradual way, just stretch the timeline and what does it look like? But just know mm. that I got a great bit of advice once, which is, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll have to just sort of like uh, uh, censor it slightly. It's what's your F off date? Was, <laughs> was a great bit of advice I got from a mentor and a former leader of mine, Craig, I love you, because that's exactly who he was. But he was like, like, if you've got a goal that this is what you want, you need to give yourself a deadline to make mm. that happen. And so I think that sometimes it's it's crunching the numbers, it's doing the homework, it's stretching the timeline, but I've never forgotten the FU date. <laughs> I've never forgotten it because I literally at the time, um, you know, in part of my career transition and then out, it was like, this is my FU date. This has got, this has got to happen. If, it, if I don't get what I want, I'm out of here. I'm gonna I'm gonna call that departure date. <laughs> That's very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. <laughs> See, I don't know the rules about podcasting. I don't know whether I'm allowed to swear or not. Hey, See, this is the I'm still you the, make the rules. I know, but this is what I st- I'm still the stiff that turns up in a suit. I'm the only one that turns up in a suit. I'm like granddad. And so you know, it's like, can we swear? Is that allowed? Yeah, it's like it's it your is. podcast. Yeah. You can do what you like. You can. <laughs> I didn't want to break your rule because yeah. you haven't made it yet. Well, I go for a family friendly audience. You know, mate. <laughs> sure. You know that. I we'd add another one. Oh, the on a minute, go. Yeah. Please. Uh, the other thing to your point, Blake, would be to, if you can, do it as a side hustle. So yes. I didn't just yeah. leave the bank, wake up one morning and go, yeah. doesn't matter about my mortgage, I can't do this anymore. I actually started it as a side hustle while I was working full time. I would do, I would see clients on the weekend. I obviously told my my employer that that's what I was doing. Sorry, but you don't have to say that now, there's no <laughs> rains. <laughs> I did actually declare There's it. no conflict. I see, such a good accountant. I know. But uh, it just got to the point with me when I had clients asking for bookings June in the week at the time when I was doing my role that I went, this is helping me to actually now reach the point where I have to make the decision. But the other thing is, is a lot of people think they need the bells and whistles straight away. I need the office. I need the technology. I need the all the things that they think they need to run a business. But really, especially during COVID, the smaller you make it and the, the sort of shoestring that you can build it on, the the better really so you don't need all those things to get started just get started yes yeah yeah mm. okay so let me recap i've got know what you're good at your strengths so that's all about you know basically you know your passion your purpose it doesn't have to be the big life saying but it's like what are the skill sets that i've got so that really for me comes yes. back if i link it back to the box it's about skills and capabilities it's about that values that purpose piece and um, do the numbers which I'll link that back to as well, this idea of actually having a plan. I, I think that's one of the, my biggest advice to people is it doesn't cost anything to do the thinking and the planning. So if you're thinking of starting your own business, then go find, you know, there's tools like Lean Canvas tools that allow you to put it up. You can put a business plan together. There's incubators. Mm. There's so much out there. If you want to change in career, go do the research. Like, like Blake was saying, get out there, go and do some experience. You know, there's all just a phone call away. So I think that's key is do the numbers, make the plan. 
Um, the growth mindset, which is the technical term, which is about how can I make this work? I, I think so many people approach it as, and they go into the, you know, the, this won't work. And I think if you just mm. give yourself that freedom, I always say to people, the thinking costs you nothing. It's quite exciting to sit down and build a business on a bit of paper. And then to your point, Sarah, if you do that, go and create a side hustle. You know, stretch that timeline, as you're saying, Blake. You don't have to do it now. Can you do it as a side hustle? I, um, again, working with one of the large banks, I saw a statistic where I think it was their employees under 35, mm-hmm. basically something like 50 to 60% had a side hustle. So, you know, why not? I think that's the – and I think there's a lot of our listeners that probably would think about it. Do it. Run a business. Go and start a charity. Go and get involved because you can do it. As you're saying, Sarah, the barriers to entry are so low. And yeah. you're learning it there. Yeah. You're learning so much from being where you are that the business acumen's only growing. So, like, you can apply the things that you've already learned to that while you're doing it. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. the other one for me in terms of the planning is talk to people. What, I, I think – I think there's a general lack of business acumen mm. in certain professions. I think they're technically very strong. And I think the whole education in the system is geared to making them great accountants, great engineers, great technical you know, IT people. I think when you come to running your own business, whether it's you and someone else or you running a business that's going to be a 1,000 people, the business acumen of cash flow, understanding marketing, understanding yeah. the whole process comes in. And that's where it comes back to doing the numbers, having the side hustle, creating this business model, but knowing how you're going to make money or knowing how you're going to generate income or knowing how you're going to live the life for me is absolutely critical. Yes. As we said, I think the joy of it is none of this – you don't have to give up anything to do this thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my biggest, my other biggest advice to people is, you know, do the thinking now because, I, as I said, if you don't do all of this, mm. the challenge is you step out, you make something, but that thing that you thought you were going to love becomes the burden yeah. because yeah. it's not what you wanted or envisaged. It becomes something that you end up doing. So you kind of substituted one for another just because the system isn't right. And look, and if you don't get it right, and again, we've started a few businesses over the year and they haven't worked, Kill them. Move on. Yeah. Go and do something else. Be ruthless <laughs> yeah. about it, but yes. see it as an opportunity to test. And I think if you can take all of that and take that forward, then that's what should go into your thinking and planning. You know, yeah, keep your career current and all of that, but why not do the thinking? Yes. Absolutely. There you go. That's the plan. Anything else to add to that before we wrap, guys? I've always got more. I would say anyone who's listening, <laughs> we've all got circumstances. Like, for example, I'm single and I live in Sydney with a mortgage. So I could use that as a barrier for not getting involved. You, Blake, you've got two young kids. You could use that as a barrier. Some people go, they're too young, too old. It's never too late. You're never too young. You're never too old. It doesn't matter what your state is, your marital status is. You can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Yes. And it's um, not using those things as an excuse or something to hide behind, but it's actually using them as an enabler as much as possible so to yeah, I'm drive gonna, you forward. I think I think if people want to do it, I think, I think this is the difference for me, right? Because I yes. think, we should, yes, you can do it, but you wanted to do it. And, yeah. and again, I see a lot of people in this sort of self-help space saying, you know, if I've done it, you can do it. But your point is, if you want to do it. And yes. I, think, I think that's the biggest advice that, both all of us have had mm. is that it, there's no barrier to entry if exactly what you've said Sarah people want to do it yeah. and to set it up because that's what I saw in you when you made the step you got to that point where you wanted to go Blake you got to the point where you wanted to go oh, yeah. and I got to the point where well I had to go because <laughs> there didn't, was no job for me so that was okay <laughs> but you know it worked out okay for now so I think that that's the key yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, and the, what I love is you said you know, we, if you've got that mindset then, then it's, anything's possible alright well 
Thank you. That's been, again, you know, how many years in the making? How many? I've known Blake for about 10. It must be about the same when you and I caught up, but we only just met recently, so thank you for that. I'm delighted about that. We'll, um, I'm going to write this up. We'll put it up. We'll do it as a one-pager. We'll put it out to people. We'll chuck it in the notes of the podcast as well. Yeah. It's just like a handy hint list and put a link in there as well. And a lot of this stuff is directly and indirectly covered in the program. So if you're interested, www.theboxiliving.com. Get online, do the questionnaire around Future Ready. Have a look at the free program that's there. Drop us an email if you've got any questions or thoughts. Happy to have that conversation. And as I finish, every podcast within every training, the only bit of advice, people, is when all is said and done, more is said said than than done. So don't talk about it. Start taking some action. Good on you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben.